Thank you for joining us here at the Hills, whether you're at Southlake Campus, West Fort Worth Campus, online around the world, wherever you are, so glad that you are with us. I'm excited about the men's conference. It has blessed me. It's blessed people in my family. It's blessed friends I've attended with. Here's what I know. Families are stronger. Churches are healthier. And communities are better when men follow Jesus. Can we say amen to that, right? So, guys, this is a chance for you to grow as a follower of Jesus. I hope you'll come. hope you'll bring someone with you. Our church has been blessed by the legacy left by so many great men of God. I want to introduce two to you. You've seen a picture of John Jones. He's the former preacher that I followed here many years ago. He's in a coat and tie. And next to him is Wade Phelps. Many years an elder in our church. Wade Phelps was a great man who loved those on the margin. For years, he was the director of Christ Haven Home for Children. He was a simple man, a frugal man, but he allowed himself one indulgence. He needed a watch. So he went to a pawn shop, and he bought a watch made by a company called Omega. I understand they make nice watches. He was proud of it. He was wearing it one Sunday to church, and John Jones spotted him and said, Wade, wait, I forgot my watch. Can I borrow yours? So Wade loaned him his watch. That day, they were having a special offering to build a family life center on the old property of our church. They counted the money that morning in the service, and they came up just a little bit short. So John got back up and said, we are so close. I know we can make it. Could you write another check? Could you give something? Maybe some jewelry you have on. Hey, I'm going to put my watch in the bucket. <laughs> and he put Wade's watch in the bucket, and they made the goal, and Wade never got his watch back. Because John believed in giving to others, and evidently he believed in giving for others. Because he knew that generosity is genius. Because it is the path to blessing. That's what Jesus said in one of his most counterintuitive statements. Jesus was always saying things that seemed backward. The way to live is to die. The way to be great is to be least. But perhaps for our culture, the most counterintuitive thing he said is recorded in Acts 20. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Our culture rejects that idea. The advertising industry spends multi-billions of dollars to do one thing, make you unhappy until you get something. Our culture says it's blessed to get. But we're in three short weeks going to challenge that idea. We're going to suggest that Jesus knew what he was talking about, that when we give we saw last week, we bless God. And next week, we're going to see how we bless ourselves by being generous. But what I want to do today is just explore how by being generous, we are a blessing to others. And the first thing we need to realize is that blessing is our birthright. Because blessing is God's very first reflex. The first thing God always does, it's his nature to lean into blessing. So, for example, Genesis 1, when it says that God made the man in his own image, the very first thing it says God ever did for the man was bless him. 
Then he gave him something to do. Don't reverse that order. God blesses and then he commands, not the other way around. Or think about Jesus as he's leaving the earth. It says he blessed his disciples and literally as he is ascending into the sky, he is blessing them. The last image we have of God on earth was blessing people. This is what God does. This is who God is. Why does that matter? Because we're made in the image of God. We are made to mirror God on this earth. In other words, we are blessed to be blessings. And this is the genius behind Jesus' statement. That you are most authentic, you are most alive, you are most true to yourself, your design, your creation. When you live as a blessing, or to put it in other words, generosity is important because we were created to pour, not store. To unpack that, I want to tell you two stories this morning out of the Bible. The first one, a man comes up to Jesus and says, Master, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. Jesus perceived something in that question that concerned him. So we said, beware of greed. The quality of your life has nothing to do with the amount of your stuff. And he told a story about a man, a farmer, who had this really amazing year, a bumper crop, so much harvest, he couldn't put it all in his barn. So now he has a question. What am I going to do with all this excess blessing? Instead of going to the synagogue, getting with people, praying, looking at the Scripture, saying, what does God want me to do with all this blessing? You know what he did? He tore down his barn so that he could build a bigger barn, so that he could store it all and keep it for himself. And here's how Jesus ended that story. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Now, his sin was not being rich. His sin was not being successful. His sin was being a bottleneck of God's flow of blessing to others. Just because God puts something in your hands does not mean he wants it to stay there. We were created to pour, not store. And by the way, that is true for any part of your life where God has blessed you. Not just your finances. Has God blessed you with time. You have some margin in your life. Well, then what does God want you to do with that blessing? Binge on Netflix and pursue your hobby? If God has blessed you with knowledge and wisdom, what does God want you to do with that blessing? Maybe mentor someone else and help them learn what you've learned? If God has blessed you with influence, Perhaps he wants you to use it and share it to open the door for someone else. That's what John Jones did for me. I came to this church as a young preacher. I'm following a man greatly respected and admired who's still a part of the church. And John intentionally leveraged his influence to make it easier for me to start well in this church. So, We said last week, every week we're going to give you a generosity challenge on Instagram. And over 400 of you got on Instagram and joined our account. 
And the challenge last week was, tell us who your generosity mentor was. And I read every single comment. They were amazing. This week, the challenge, how can you be generous to somebody this week without spending any money? You don't have to spend money to be generous. Generosity is a lifestyle. Here's a thought. What if you decided this week, every time you have a meal with somebody, you'll put your phone up? That you would be generous with your attention. You would look them in the eye and give them all of you through that whole meal instead of checking a screen every two minutes. There's all kinds of ways to be generous that don't include money. But understand, there's no way to live a generous life and exclude money. When Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive, he's talking about money. And isn't it interesting? That's the one area of our life where we will not acknowledge God's blessing. If I said, well, you look really fit. Well, thank you. God has blessed me with good health. You have a beautiful family. Well, thank you. God has blessed me with a wonderful family. And you're financially prosperous. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not rich. We will not honor God for being so generous to us with finances. So let me ask you, last night, did you sleep anywhere with a roof over your head? This morning, did you turn a faucet and hot water came out that was clean and pure? Did you come to church today in a car? All right, well, then you are more blessed than billions of people on the earth. I don't say that to make us feel bad. It's not bad to be rich. It's bad to not be good at being rich. It's a part of my job as a pastor. The Scripture is clear. I'm to teach you how to be good at being rich. Look at 1 Timothy 6 with me. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. This weekend, we celebrate the life and the memory of a man who taught us that regularly, Dr. Martin Luther King who would often say, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? He didn't just talk it, he walked it. In 1964, when he won the Nobel Peace Prize, it came with a $54,000 prize. A lot of money back then. He did not keep any of it. He gave it all away for the cause of civil rights because he understood the truth of what Paul said Tell them to use their money to do good. So that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time doing. It's my job as a pastor to teach you how to be rich, how to be generous to others with God's blessing. There's three ways we can do it. One, we bless others by meeting their legitimate needs. One of the most remarkable things about the early church is that they refused to allow legitimate material needs to exist in their community. It says in Acts 2, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, let me be clear. They did not go into their attic and get the sweaters with the holes in them and the stained jeans and the broken toys and put them in a sack and take it to the resale shop. 
Dumping is not giving, okay? Are we clear on that? No. They went into their closet and said, I got two coats, and there's a guy in church that doesn't have a coat, and I'm going to do something about that. They gave their best to bless one another because their hearts had been captured by grace. And their example captured the attention of the people around them. Every time in Acts it says the church was generous, it is followed by a growth statement. Here's why. The world lives by the principle of ungrace. The world lives by the principle that the way we decide who's the winner, the way we keep score is to determine who has the most of something we think is valuable. We call them the haves. And they win. The church comes along and says there's a better way to keep score. We believe that you measure people by their inherent worth to God. That all people matter to God. Especially the have-nots. And the way we demonstrate this is through our generosity. By being generous, we say all people are worthy of the love of God. Of course, we say the opposite when we're not generous. 1 John 3, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Good question. See, as a church, we don't want to just preach grace. We want to live it. We want to practice what we preach. That's why we give you opportunities to be generous. Every spring, we have what we call our Renew Offering, where we partner with Christ-centered agencies to help people with legitimate needs. Last spring, over 1,500 households in our church gave over $1.2 million to give away to help people with need. Can we celebrate that for a second? That's awesome. And we don't advertise it, but every single week at every campus, we do something to help somebody with a legitimate need in our church and outside of our church. We had that opportunity with our dollar donation. You remember last month, we took up all our dollars, and we helped a family, a father that had serious medical problems, and we paid off their car loan. But God always multiplies generosity. See, we went to the loan company and said, we're going to pay off this car for the family. They were so impressed by our generosity, they gave us a 30% discount. So now we have some extra money. What are we going to do with that? So we got to thinking, here's what we learned. There is a, a nonprofit in our area that buys up and forgives medical debt. That medical providers are willing to settle for less than what they're owed because they want to get something instead of nothing. And so this nonprofit has realized the genius of forgiving medical debt and being a blessing to others at a very low cost. So we contacted them and said, we want to forgive some medical debt. What can we do right here in Tarrant County? So that's where we started by forgiving some money or debt in Tarrant County. We still had some extra money. We said, well, we want to do something in every county adjacent to Tarrant County. So that's what we did. We just started buying up some medical debt in every single county in our area. So you're wondering, well, how much debt have we forgiven? $1.5 million of medical debt. And in every county in a few weeks, these families are going to get a letter that's going to say, your debt has been forgiven, and they'll mention our church. 
We want to always, as a church, meet legitimate need. But here's the thing. As an individual follower of Jesus, you're going to have opportunities to do the same thing. Now, some of them are planned, and some are going to be unplanned, where you have a chance to be a conduit of the grace of God and bless somebody. And here's the thing. When you bless someone by meeting their need, you're not just meeting their need. You're giving them something even bigger than that. You're modeling a different path to joy. This is another way we bless people with generosity. Here's the thing. If money is your obsession, fear and worry will be your constant companion. Now, to illustrate, suppose in the middle of my sermon, an officer walked up and said, now, you've seen some officers running around recently. Let me explain what's happened. We apprehended some youths out in the parking lot vandalizing cars. They were taking nails, and they were making foot-long scratches in the paint of the sides of some of your cars. But don't worry, we have apprehended and arrested the young men, and everything's safe. Go on with your service. What would happen? Some of you would think, well, it's God's car. If he wants to scratch on it, that's his business. Some of you would think, well, I hope it matches the scratch on the other side. (laughs) And some of you, let's be honest, would not be able for the rest of the service to focus on Christ. Because you would be obsessed with, do I have a scratch on my car? If stuff is your obsession then worry will be your constant companion. Expecting stuff to bring you joy is like expecting salt water to quench your thirst. The Scripture says, teach them not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. It's not just unreliable in that it might be gone. It's unreliable in that it can't deliver. Any stuff you acquire will only give you a temporary bit of joy, and then it's gone. Money cannot buy happiness, but generosity can bring joy. You know who says so? Harvard Business School. They did a study published in Science Magazine where they tried to discern, can money bring happiness? So they studied this group of people who got raises that almost doubled their salary. They concluded it did nothing to increase their base level of happiness. It just increased their stress. They took these two groups. They gave one group a bunch of money and said, you go spend it on yourselves. And they took another group. Here's some money. Go give it away. And it was the people that gave the money away that registered an increase in happiness. Harvard Business School concluded it's more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus knows what he's talking about. It says in the Old Testament, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. You see, when we bless others, we are modeling a joy that cannot be lost because it's not based on stuff that can be lost. Our joy doesn't come from the presence of stuff in a barn. It comes from the presence of God. Hebrew writer says, chapter 13, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, 
I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. We live in a world so full of tension and unease and fear. Our community needs the witness of a people who are calm, who have peace, who have this non-anxious presence about them, who live with a joy that remains. Because we have learned how to cling tightly to God and hold everything else loosely. You see, people like that are cheerful givers. And God loves them. God loves cheerful givers. Because God is a cheerful giver. And people that can give cheerfully love God. And they want people to know the love of God. And so how does generosity bless others? Well, it meets their needs and it models joy. But maybe most important, it blesses others by making good news more available. Now listen to me. Salvation is free. You'll always hear me preach that. Jesus paid for your sins on the cross. Salvation is free. But getting the message of salvation to the world, it must be funded. That was true even of Jesus. Did you know that? Luke chapter 8. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Did you hear what it said? How was Jesus able to go on preaching tours and announce good news? He got support. The clothes he wore, the food he ate, the places he slept, somebody was paying for that. Especially some women who had experienced the power of the gospel. Who had been delivered from bondage. And they were determined to fund this gospel so other people could experience what they had. And that happened to you. Aren't you glad that somewhere in your past or your family's past, people got saved because other people were generous. You got saved because somebody else funded the gospel and you heard it. Happened to me. My mom and dad getting back together after being separated, me and my little brother, we started going to a church that had a building. We didn't pay for it. We heard a preacher preach. We, we weren't supporting him. Programming for me and my brother that we weren't funding. I'm standing here today because people were generous and provided for a place for us to come and be, heard, be claimed by the gospel. Aren't you glad someone funded the gospel so that you could hear it? And aren't you glad that you have a chance to be at a church where you can fund the proclaiming of the gospel? So last year, over 1,500 households gave millions of dollars to our Courage campaign. If you were one of those people, here's what your money did. 
you supported 41 missionaries and missionary specialists all over the world. You supported 21 church plants that are preaching the gospel across our nation. Right here in Tarrant County, you supported the funding of a brand new campus of our church in West Fort Worth. That's what you did. You should celebrate that. Thank you so, so much. And now I'm going to step on a few toes. And if you don't believe in Jesus, this is not for you. But I'm talking to the person right now, and you declare yourself a follower of Jesus, but you're not funding the mission. There is a huge disconnect between what you claim and how you're living. So I want you to imagine that you own a restaurant. And someone comes in to the building that you're paying for, enjoying the lighting and the air conditioning that you pay for, the ambiance that you fund, the wait staff that you employ, the delicious food that you prepare. And then that person gets up and just walks out. Says, why should I have to support that? You should just provide it for me if I want it. That's how some people go to church. You provide the place, you provide the teaching, you provide the programming. I'll just come and enjoy it. Somebody else can support it. And if that's you, as lovingly but honestly as I can say it, there's a disconnect between what you're claiming and how you're living. If you're a follower of Jesus, you should be supporting the mission of Jesus. You are saved because somebody else was generous, and you should be generous so somebody else can get saved. Because you and I were born, and you and I were reborn to pour, not to store. I told you I'd tell you two stories. The second happened just the week before Jesus died. Her name was Mary. She loved Jesus. She could not thank him enough for raising her brother Lazarus from the dead. She threw him at a dinner party, but that wasn't enough. So she got to thinking, what else could I do? And then it hit her. Back in her closet, she had a jar of perfume. Very expensive. It was worth a year's wages. Back then, it was almost unthinkable that a woman could have that much money saved. She took that jar and she poured it all out on Jesus to honor him. And people said, you're being wasteful. Jesus said, leave her alone. And then he said, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And here we are 2,000 years later still talking about what Mary did. What she did was genius. Because she knew that even though I'm pouring it, I'm not really losing it. Remember, Paul told Timothy, teach people how to be rich. Teach them to be generous. Teach them to use their money to do good. And here's what he said next. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future. So that they may experience true 
life. They're storing it up for the future. See, here's why generosity is genius. What gets poured gets stored. Jesus said, I'm going to keep a record of anything you pour for me, even as small as a cup of cold water. I'm keeping track of it. You see, you're either moving toward your treasure or you're moving away from it. It just depends where have you stored it. So I have a friend named Kyle who's a pastor in Kentucky. And he told a story about a friend of his who's also a pastor whose church building burned to the ground, including the pastor's study. All his books, all his sermon notes, anything in that study was lost. He told Kyle, the only things I saved were the things I had given away and people brought them back to me. See, I believe when Jesus returns, this whole earth is going to be purged with fire. And the only things that are going to last are the things we gave to Jesus. And so, I want you to store up this truth in your heart. God has blessed you. God has blessed you to be a blessing. Don't live like a fool. Be a genius. Let's pray. I pray, God, this message will bear fruit. We understand, God, that our whole hope of salvation is based on your radical generosity. That you are a God that gives. You're a God who blesses. And you've given us the mission, God, of of sharing good news, of mirroring your image to the world. And so, God, help us not just to be generous, but to find the genius of it, to discover the joy of it, and to realize that what we're doing is never lost, but it's, it's collected by Jesus himself, who will one day say, well done, you were faithful with the blessing I trusted with you. We want to hear those words. We want to live like Jesus. And so God, pour your spirit out on us so that we can pour your love out on others. For Jesus' sake, amen.